In the 17th chapter of his gospel, the Apostle John records the prayer our Lord prayed on the night before going to the cross. The prayer Jesus prayed in the upper room, standing in the presence of his first disciples. In his prayer, Jesus asks the Father for many things, both for himself and for us, his disciples. At the heart of the prayer is the request for which the prayer is most well known. His prayer for the unity, the solidarity of his church in the world. Father, I want them to be one. He prays it three times. Verse 11, that they may be one even as we are. Verse 21, that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. And then verse 22, that they may all be one just as we are one. What is Jesus asking for? What does Jesus want? Well, before we press into this central request of his high priestly prayer, as John 17 is called, we need to wrestle with a line that puzzles many disciples. It's back before the text we heard read by the children. It's in verse 9. I do not ask on behalf of the world. What? Jesus does ask on behalf of the first band of disciples. I ask on their behalf, verse 9, for those you have given me. Jesus does ask on our behalf, verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, the first disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word. But he does not ask on behalf of the world. Why not? And how does this square with John 3.16? God so loved the world. If the Father so loves the world that he sends his Son into the world, why does the Son not pray for the world? In John's Gospel, the word translated world is the word cosmos. comes into the English language in words like cosmic and cosmology. And in John's Gospel, cosmos has a technical meaning. Cosmos refers to human society organizing itself without God. That's how William Barclay defines it. Human society organizing itself without God. Anyone know cosmos? (laughs) Cosmos is human society indifferent to God. Cosmos is human society defiant of God. Cosmos is human society seeking to live in rebellion against God. Cosmos is human society choosing to organize itself without the light, indeed against the light, which is why cosmos tends to get dark, which is why cosmos becomes such a dark place. I do not pray for the world, for the cosmos. Why not? Well, let me ask you, how should Jesus pray for the world? Should he pray that the world be one? That the world be one in its indifference and antipathy to the light? Should he pray that the nations be united in their indifference and defiance of God? That the cosmos be united as cosmos? New Testament scholar C.K. Barrett put it so clearly. The only hope for the cosmos is precisely that it cease to be the cosmos. The only hope for human society organizing itself without God is to stop 
organizing itself without God. Another New Testament scholar, Raymond Brown, also gets at the fundamental issue. He says, Jesus, Jesus does not come to change the world. Jesus comes to challenge the world, to no longer be the world. The only hope for the world is for the world to lay down its resistance and surrender to the saving lordship of Jesus, in which case the world is no longer the world. Now, all of this helps me pray right now. In the midst of this pandemic and in the midst of all the uprising around the world. We want to see an end to all this, right? <laughs> but we must not want to return to normal. Normal was good in a lot of ways, but normal was massively cosmos. Am I right? So much selfishness, so much injustice, so much immorality, so much rejection of God's good law and God's ways. Who wants to go back to that normal? Who wants to go back to human society organizing itself without God? Let's move on from normal to a new normal. Now, although Jesus does not explicitly pray for the world, his whole prayer is world-oriented. His whole prayer is cosmically oriented. Verse 18, you sent me into the world. Verse 18 again, I've also sent them, the disciples, into the world. Verse 21, that the world might believe you sent me. Verse 23, that the world might believe you sent me. In which case, the world ceases to be the world. Because when the world believes that Jesus was sent by the Father, the world will no longer be the world. Now, so back to the central request Jesus makes in John 17, that they, Jesus' disciples, we, may be one. Why? Well, for one thing, it is blessed to be one. Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is for sisters to brothers and brothers to dwell in unity, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. But for another... The world will then believe the gospel when we are one. That they all may be one. Not that they may all be alike. Boring. <laughs> Not that they all may be uniform. Jesus is too creative for uniformity. But be one, united. As we've already noted, he prayed it three times. Verse 11, that they may be one. Verse 21, that they may be one. Verse 22, that they may be one. Now, take careful note. Each time he prays for our oneness, he gives a definition of the oneness for which he prays. Listen carefully. Verse 11, even as we. Verse 21, even as you and I. Verse 22, even as we. Literally, it is just as. Not just also. Not just also as we are, but just as we are. In the same way that we are. To the same degree that we are. Father, I want my disciples to be one in the way we are one and to the same degree that we are one. We we, we. He's speaking of that relationship at the center of the universe. The relationship between the Father and the Son in the Spirit. And the Son prays that we disciples might be one, just like the oneness of the relationship at the center of the universe. Holy moly! How? 
by being in the oneness of the Trinity. Let me say that again. By being one, by being in the oneness of the Trinity. He's praying that we might be one in the oneness of the relationship at the center of the universe. So listen again. Listen carefully to how Jesus prays, verses 21 and 23, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, that the world may believe you sent me, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may believe you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Now, did you hear that little word in? In me, in you, in us. Amazing. There's nothing in all the universe like the oneness of the Father and the Son. One because in. The Father and the Son are one because they are in one another. The Son and the Father, the Father and the Son. Not just the Son with the Father and the Father with the Son. Not just the Son hand in hand with the Father and the Father hand in hand with the Son, but the Son in the Father and the Father in the Son. The oneness Jesus wants for his disciples, for the church, is not simply modeled on the oneness of God. The oneness of the disciples participates in the oneness of God. It's because disciples participate in the oneness of God that they and we become one. Now, this is crucial to grasp. In the latter decades of the 20th century, the worldwide church was caught up in Jesus' prayer for unity. Major church conferences were held all over the world to talk about how the church is one and how to grow into that oneness. Now, if my memory serves me correctly, the discussion turned on God's oneness as a paradigm for the church's oneness and missed the astounding wonder of Jesus' prayer. We are not called to become one like the Father and Son are one. We are called to join the Father and Son in their oneness. In, in, in. To be in Jesus is to be in Jesus being in the Father. To be in Jesus is to be in the Father being in Jesus. We're not called merely to imitate Jesus. We are called to participate in Jesus. And therefore, not merely to imitate the Trinity, but to participate in the Trinity. The oneness for which Jesus prays is the oneness experienced in the life of the Trinity. Once any one of us enters into that oneness, we are one with everyone else who has entered into that oneness, whether we like those people or not. (laughs) That is what Jesus wants for us. That is what Jesus is praying for. And this will be the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit brings us to the Son, and the Son brings us to the Father. Actually, it's more powerful than that. The Spirit brings us into the Son, and the Son then brings us into the Father. To live in the eternal love the Father has for His Son, and the Son has for His Father. We do not become one by choosing to be one. We're just simply too selfish for that. We become one by living in the oneness of the God who is one, in the oneness of the three who are one. We do not become one by agreeing on every doctrine of faith. Oh, that would be wonderful. It would be lovely. 
But that is not what will make us one in the way Jesus prays we be one. We are one because we are in him and in the Father through the Spirit. Father, I pray that they whom you've given me may be one just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be in us. And he prays this for the sake of the world, for the cosmos, that the world may believe you sent me. He prays it twice. Verse 21, that the world may believe you sent me. Verse 23, that the world may believe you sent me. Do do you hear what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying the world will believe because the world will see something emerging in the world that is not world. The world will see something so radically different from the world that it cannot but take notice. The world will see the emergence of a love it had never seen before. Groups of human beings learning how to live for one another, learning how to lay down their lives for one another, and the world will conclude that something must have happened in the world from outside the world to make this not-world community come into being. They will conclude that something must have come from outside ourselves to transform people in the world into something that is not the world. And the world will be open to the explanation. The Father sent his Son. God so loved the world that he sent his Son. I in them, you in me, that they may be brought to complete unity. Literally, that they may be perfected in unity. Verse 23, perfected in unity. It's the same word Jesus uses earlier in his prayer when he says, I finished the work you gave me to do. I perfected the work you gave me to do. I think Jesus is telling us that we will always be growing into the oneness of the oneness of the Trinity. We enter into that oneness when we enter into relationship with Jesus the Son. But that oneness is so different from anything we have ever known and so massively expansive that we will spend the rest of our lives growing into it, being perfected into it, growing into him and into his Father, being perfected into him and into his Father. In the meantime, we celebrate the answer to Jesus' prayer, the Apostle Paul saw taking place just a few years after Jesus prayed it. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, he says to the Galatians. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One because in And once we are in, we are one with everyone else who is in forever and ever. Amen.